Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Speak On It, history and genealogy conversations with Janice and Shara Connor. We invite you to join us on Thursdays at 8 p.m. for an engaging exchange with us and our special guests as we cover various topics regarding history, genealogy, and your personal family history stories. Good evening, and thank you for joining us tonight on Speak On It. Before we begin, we would like to thank everyone who listened to our first podcast last Thursday as we interviewed Renice Alexander-Bennett. Shara Khanna and I appreciate all of the kind expressions of support we received via text, phone calls, emails, and Facebook posts. Also, we'd like to thank you for the well wishes and kind greetings for Bernice. Shara Khanna, I'm so excited to be here. What about you? I am excited, and I'm looking forward to tonight's podcast. Awesome. As shared last week, we are thankful for Bernice as she has graciously allowed us to provide a platform for future guests to share with you, our listeners. Tonight, we are so excited to welcome Dr. Flora Brown to speak on it, History and Genealogy Conversations with Janice and Shara Khanna. So a little bit about her bio. Dr. Flora Morris Brown is an author, publishing coach, and certified guided autobiography facilitator and trainer who confesses to being a reformed coffee snob and having an unhealthy love of British murder mysteries. She helps everyday people, even those insecure about their writing skills, write their life stories to pass on their experiences, values, and memories to their families to treasure now and as part of their unique legacy. Dr. Brown earned a BA, MS, and PhD from the University of Southern California. She enjoyed teaching junior high through university levels over a 40-year career, the last 20 of which were at Fullerton College, from which she retired as Professor Emeritus. Drawing from the highlights of happiness research and her adventures as a wife, mom, and educator, Dr. Brown wrote the best-selling book, Color Your Life Happy, Create Your Unique Path, and Claim the Joy You Deserve. Her most recently released book is Redesigning My Resilient Life, a guided journal for the pandemic, social unrest, and political turmoil. She invites you to visit her website, florabrown.com, to learn about her current programs, get free downloads, and discover how to connect with her on social media. I am so, so excited to meet you and introduce you, rather to have met you and to introduce you tonight and welcome you, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much, Janice and Terracana, for having me here and giving me an opportunity to talk about life stories because you know I love to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) So let's dive in with the first question. So we did do your bio, but can you yes. share a little bit more about your background and who is Flora Brown? I would be more than happy to do that. Uh, my life was shaped by the um, 1950s, 40s, 50s, in a segregated part of St. Louis. And it made a big difference in my life because of the fact that we were segregated, as people know, means that you are living with other people 
and not only living with your shopping, your church, all of the things you do probably are within a very small, tight community. Uh, but that turned right. out to be a good thing for me because the educators, the church leaders, all of the people who were the leaders in my um, during my upbringing tended to be many of them were highly educated because had they been in a regular, quote, unquote, regular time where they could have, uh, you know, applied for jobs anywhere and worked anywhere in the world, they, wouldn't, they weren't able to get jobs anywhere other than in a black community. So I grew up observing these highly educated people, which, you know, whetted my appetite for education. And then right. my mom... My mom was a, um, she really had her feet in two camps. She loved uh, music so much that she probably would have gone into being a musician for her career, but she was also very practical. So she mm-hmm. opened a home-based beauty shop. So I grew up in a beauty shop where we lived in the back, the beauty shop was in the front. And that made a huge difference in my life because I grew up listening to stories. I grew up listening to the ladies talk about their lives and their hardships and the things that are going on with them. And then I also, of course, was going to a church where the people were very um, hardworking and had really worked hard to get their educations and to get the homes that they had. So I was observing them. And then my uh, father used to take us to the movies every Saturday night of my childhood because my mother was always working on Saturdays until, you know, the end of the day. People were getting their hair done for Sunday, right? And uh, so I grew up watching all of these, every movie that came out (laughs) between the end of the 40s and the light teenage, uh, we probably saw the major ones. And in the old days, when I was growing up, you, you saw a major, or actually you saw two feature films, you saw cartoons, you saw newsreels, you were at the movie theater for hours and hours. And oh, cool. those movies had a big influence on me too because in the movie, whereas I was growing up in a segregated community, in the movies I was seeing styles from all over. And that made me see things that I thought, oh, when I grow up I want to have that or I want to have that. And uh, so that influenced me. And then the community was very active with things like the YWCA and YMCA. So I really had a great upbringing that really shaped my life and made me fall in love with reading, fall in love with school, and some great role models to uh, and mentors to let me know that what I wanted to do in my life was quite doable. And I think that's what's right. important about seeing people that look like you, then you know yes. that what you, your dreams are doable. And that was the great thing about that growing up experience. That's excellent. And, you know, it's funny when you mention about growing up with the beauty salon, I thought about the superstar Beyonce um, because her mother was a <laughs> beauty salon owner. And she talked a lot about, you know, the impact that had on her and her sister's life growing up in the beauty salon and listening to the stories of the women. Um, you know, because that's a very, like, vulnerable kind of intimate space. And so you do, mm-hmm. you're privy to a lot of, like, really interesting information. So You, you are. And what, <laughs> oh, excuse me, I was going to say what's funny about it is it's, 
Um, I'm, I'm a little older than Beyonce, but it may have been the same situation <laughs> where children have right. to um, you, to be seen and not heard. Remember that right. question? Right. Yes. And so mm-hmm. I could sit in the beauty shop or I could sit in the room right next to it and listen to my heart's content because they weren't paying that much attention to me as long as I didn't say anything. And I would get these scenarios in my head about, wow, I wonder why, you know, because women, the beautician was like a um, therapist. And not only a therapist, my mother was like a a confidant. She was also um, a banker for some of the women Mm -hmm. who wanted to have her keep their money for fear their husbands would take it, you know, or their husbands would give them, uh, what do you call it, a budget for groceries. Let's say if it was a housewife, they didn't have access to any other money than whatever their husbands gave them. So whatever amount they got for groceries, they would peel off a little bit of that and save it. Wow. My became their banker. And that way they felt better about their lives because they always had some money that they could or some do form of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some form of control, yeah. So I would listen to all of this, and, boy, I was formulating my life <laughs> Yeah, so like yeah, it. It that's a, a big story difference. in of itself. Yeah, the whole idea of, of of saving the money, I didn't I didn't know that. Um, oh my but goodness, that's pretty yeah. fascinating. So that you, you know, you kind of touched on the next question I had. But how did you come into you know become interested in storytelling? Okay, the of course, like I shared, the women would be sharing things about their lives, and then I discovered that books and magazines had stories in them. I don't even remember when I first learned to read. I just feel like I always could read. But, always read. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I just don't remember starting to read. I just remember reading. And what would happen at the beauty shop, women would bring things. Um, some of the women worked in white homes as, you know, doing uh, maid work during the day. And they were always receiving things from their bosses. And so they were forever bringing books and magazines. And my father was always bringing from all the activities he was doing, he'd bring pencils. And I had a whole, somebody gave us a roll-top desk. I just remembered that. (laughs) Somebody gave us a roll-top desk. It was too big to really be in the uh, room it was in, but we put it in there anyway. And I had a great time pretending I was doing school or libraries, had all those little cubby holes. So I loved books and stories. And when I found out that books could transport you to other places mm-hmm. and you could learn mm-hmm. about people living in other countries, because we didn't have a television. Would you believe we didn't have a television? Oh, well, wow. Actually, TVs were, just, TVs were just coming out in the okay. late mm-hmm. 40s and 50s. And uh, my mother was not an early adopter, okay? Whenever something new, because she, she was very budget conscious, she was not going to be the first one because all of that stuff was extremely high when it would first come out. So, you know, we listened to radio and all those kind of things. But when I realized how great books were in taking you to other places, uh, learning about encyclopedias, she bought a set of encyclopedias that were very expensive, you know, to her. I remember that. That was very important. Yeah, and that was a constant um, thing that we would look up things. It's like now we Google it, we would encyclopedia it. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when I started school, that was it. I just When I started school, I kept asking my mother, who are those uh, kids passing by our window? 
And why are they, what are they carrying? They're carrying books on their way to school. And I thought, oh, I want to go to school. And she said, don't worry, you'll get to go to school one day. So when I hit four, I guess I must have decided it was time. She said, uh, you, you aren't <laughs> going to be able to go to school because the um, age was five. I think you had to be. And I was like four, four and a half. And I knew school was starting because summer was, in, you know, the kids had been outside, you know, summer doing summer activities. Right. And now school is starting and they're walking past my house again, going to school. So I kept bugging my mother so much that finally she said, look, they're not going to admit you, but uh, I'll take you anyway so you can find out. My mother was not a pushover by any means. So for her to give in to take me to school to see if she could wow. get me in, that meant, I was really bugging her, right? And so she takes me to school, and we're in the kindergarten room, and the teacher is writing with this fountain pen, which as a little kid, I thought it was a hypodermic needle for giving you a shot. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know, we're waiting in line with all the others, and I thought, well, I have to get a shot. And then I thought to myself, I don't care. I, I'm willing to get a shot to go to school. And when we got up there to that desk, the teacher looked at my, I guess you had to have your birth certificate or whatever. She looked at it and she goes, I'm so sorry, she's not old enough. You'll have to bring her back next year. And you had to wait a whole year because, right. you know, they wouldn't take you half year in those days. No. And mm -hmm. when I was trying to follow the conversation between the teacher and my mother, right, and trying to see what was the verdict, and I'm listening to them, and finally I heard the part about, She's going to have to wait till next year. Oh, my goodness. I had a conniption fit, as the kids would say. <laughs> I have never <laughs> I had never had a, a tantrum. My mother wasn't the kind of person you pull tantrums on, okay? Right. I just lost it, and I started crying and going on. That teacher and my mother were just spellbound because they didn't know what to do because kids didn't act like that in those days, and especially I didn't. I was a well-behaved kid. That, that kindergarten teacher finally just decided if there was going to be any peace in the world again, <laughs> she was going to have to do something. And so she said, um, <clears throat> okay, well, um, well, we'll let her come in and we'll try her, you know, and see if she's going to be able to keep up. And so we'll, we'll go ahead and admit her because I was four and a half, I think. Oh, my goodness. I stopped crying instantly. Haven't had a tantrum since. And <laughs> I thought, this is fantastic. <laughs> so I Very started cool. school. And I was so in love with school that I just, and we had a great library, thank God, because of the, where we were located. It was kind of like the district library was attached to our school. So we had, I was always hauling books home. I fell in love with teaching so much that the teachers in those days, if you were well-behaved, the teacher would let one of the more mature-acting kids sit at her desk while she went to the restroom. You know, people, you can't do that. Right, right. Days. But um, so I was like the teacher's monitor that I could sit up at the desk while the teacher was gone. And the teacher had to tell me, no, you're just going to sit here. You don't need to try to run the class or anything, you know. <laughs> she right. would leave. Somebody would start acting up, and I would be, you know, correcting them right. and keeping that class in order. So it was it was really um, a wonderful experience for me, and I've loved school ever since. Uh, ever since, all it the way through the like gospel program, like, yeah. I loved it. 
It's always so been on your spirit. Came in. Yeah. Right. It's always <laughs> been on your spirit, so much so that always. you advocated for yourself at four and a half. That's I'll right. Through a tantrum. <laughs> That's right. And I mean, I took a risk because, like I said, you didn't do tantrums. My mother didn't have that. Uh, but I took a risk because I wanted it so badly that I was just willing to suffer whatever mm-hmm. was going to come. That's a message wow, in itself. Wow, <laughs> mm-hmm. So as we mentioned in your bio, um, you're a guided autobiography facilitator. So can you tell us what does a guided autobiography facilitator do? Okay, essentially what we do is provide a safe and supportive space for, and I say ordinary people, because the groups that we put together for classes, there are no requirements, you know, that you don't have to pass a test or you don't have to have any particular degree or background. So ordinary people who want to write their life stories, they have this safe and supportive space. And our job is to inspire them to feel free to share their memories and to recall their memories. We have activities that we give them, and then they recall their memories. They go home the next class. They're usually about six weeks, six to eight weeks, depends on the teacher. And Mm -hmm. um, they come back with their finished story, minimum of two pages. And the only reason we say two pages is they're going to read their stories in class. So we don't want them to write, you know, uh, you know, 40 pages and think that they can write 40 pages. I always tell them you can write as much as you like, but we're only going mm-hmm. to have time for you to share two pages because they read their story to the group and then the members of the group give feedback, positive feedback. And that's where the magic takes place. That's what dif- uh, makes it different from a regular class or a regular writing class because those students who are especially ordinary people who don't aspire to be writers. Uh, Some of them may not have finished college. They are worried how people are going to react to their stories partly. And when they get that positive feedback from their fellow uh, classmates and they realize that whatever they thought was a horrible experience or was uncomfortable or whatever, sometimes they realize to other people that was a wonderful experience or to other right. people, they thought I was really brave. And so they they get a different view of themselves and their experiences. And it turns out that they end up loving that class. And they always end up sharing things that they didn't think they would ever share with anybody. <laughs> so the guided oh, autobiography wow. facilitator has a great job of being a guide of giving people courage and giving them comfort, keeping the space safe by that, you know, no, everything is confidential. You're not to share this outside of the room. And um, even pictures, I take pictures to share on my website, but I always ask them um, to sign an agreement giving me permission. And if someone says they don't want their picture taken, then I don't shoot with them in in the shot. And that way, okay. everybody stays safe. And and they like me. The, my my reviews are they like me because I'm always joking with them in the class. And it put you know humor puts people at ease. Yeah, so definitely. That's what we do. Definitely does. <laughs> yeah. And I also recall yeah, we so heard it, you speak you know, before, and you. I'm just real quick, Sharkana. She spoke before, and the whole thing is just starting. 
A lot of people think that they have to be a professional or expert. You just start writing, right. and the story will come. It will manifest itself. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sharkana. No, no, it's okay. Um, you know, and that kind of touches on another question, too. But before we get to that, why do you think telling, you know, one story is important? Okay, and I want to add something to what um, Dennis just said, that they just start writing. Uh, the facilitators, we do have carefully selected themes that they write on. So everybody's mm-hmm. writing on the same theme each week. But these are kind of life themes that all of us would be able to write on, like what's a turning point in your life? Everybody can think of something. And we do give them some about 11, 11 or 12 prompts they can pick from. So there is guidance in there, and that makes a big difference too because people who aren't used to school settings, you know, feel like they're floundering if you don't give them some kind of a little structure but not too much. Yeah. But um, why do you think storytelling is important? Well, (laughs) because storytelling is, uh, first of all, it's the mechanism by which we can access our memories, what things have Mm -hmm. happened to us when we begin to tell a story. We are accessing memories to give support for the story. Um, And then I think it's important because it enables us to revisit good times, and feel good about things and feel proud of ourselves, and it enables us to visit bad times or times that were um, full of grief or illness or trauma. And when we revisit those, painful though they may be, we gain a new understanding. And we not only gain a new understanding, we sometimes find solace and even find forgiveness. Forgiveness may be mm. for ourselves or our part and whatever. That's but we powerful. get a whole different perspective. Powerful. Yes, very, yeah. it's, it's a different perspective. So, And you can do, by the way, you can tell your story at any point in your life. So, And by the way, you can write mm. as many stories or memoirs as you want. There are some authors, who published authors, who write memoirs. They have, um, may have, one author has written about 18 memoirs. Wow. And they are about different phases of her life. And obviously they overlap to some extent because they're all about her life. Right. But you don't have to be stuck with one. But I think that the, and now I just read an article about research of the power of stories. Stories are more powerful than lectures. You know, yeah. you mm-hmm. ask me for my advice, I can give you a little lecture about what you ought to do. Mm-hmm. But if I tell you a story about that thing happening to me, or to my children, and share with you what I did and how painful it was, how I got out of it, how I dealt with it, that's going to make, that goes to a different part of your brain, (laughs) as a matter of fact. And uh, it helps people a lot because we all want to that we're not alone in this world. And I don't know why we think that whatever experience we've had, that we're the only one that's had it, but that's the way we think, unfortunately. So when we hear mm-hmm. somebody else share something, then we go, oh, I mean, in a way we think, oh, good, somebody else had that problem. <laughs> oh, good, right, it's validating in a way. It validates. Right, right. But more importantly, it, people who hear our stories, they can be empowered now to explore yeah. their experiences and look at their memories, work on their problems. It makes such a difference. And, I mean, it does not have to be much. I, when I got ready to go back to get my uh, doctorate, I was 
hemming and hawing about, oh, my goodness, am I going to be able to manage all this? Because I had two children, five and three at the time. No, five and two. And oh, um, they were engaged, very little ones, okay? And they were <laughs> engaged in <laughs> music lessons in church and that, and preschool and all that stuff. And um, But I had an opportunity to get a grant, and I did not want to pass up getting a grant. So especially because a PhD is something I always wanted. From a little kid, I wanted it, and I didn't even know what it was. But in my <laughs> church... <laughs> I I knew that my my pastor had a doctorate. In those days, the PhD was that they didn't have EDDs and some of the variations they have now. Uh, the, super, the principal of my high school had a PhD. The superintendent of the uh, district was a, a black man, had a PhD. So when I asked, what's the highest degree you could get? Because I just wanted to know how to stay in school forever. And they said PhD. <laughs> and I thought, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to get a PhD. So this was something I always wanted. But I was still thinking, you know, how am I going to manage all this? Well, the violin teacher told me, she said, um, you should consider talking to one of the parents. She's working on her Ph.D. right now, too. And I said, oh, she is. She said, yeah, talk to her. Maybe she can give you some tips about how, you know, I was worried about managing the time. And um, so I saw this, I didn't know this parent other than just would see her at lessons, and I saw her headed toward the, leaving the parking lot, headed toward the building where the lessons were held when I was going to take my kids for violin lessons one day. Yes, they were taking mm-hmm. violin when they were five and two. And the, hey. um, <laughs> the lady was walking fast, right? I'm behind her, I'm trying to catch her. And I don't even remember her name, and I just caught up with her, and I said, excuse me, and I could tell she was no nonsense. She was trying to get to her kids' lessons. She right. didn't have time for chit-chat. <laughs> so I said, oh, excuse me, I just want to ask you a question, and I had to talk fast, you know. And I said, um, Mrs. Shimizu said that um, you are in the doctoral program, and I'm considering getting in it. Do you have any advice for me? And she said, she turned and looked at me. I guess she must have said, this woman, um, she says, um, yes, manage your time. That's what it's all about, managing your time. Right. And I said, oh, okay, thank you. Boom, and she was gone. I haven't seen her since. <laughs> all she needed to do, I, all I needed to do was to talk to somebody else who was doing what I wanted to do. And right. she was almost finished with her degree. And that was enough to encourage me to proceed that I would be able to do it. And this is why telling your story, telling what you're going through, it's powerful. And yeah. you definitely I was just going to comment on that, that you're doing. probably encouraging yeah. so many people right now. So, yeah. I hope so. If they want to know anything I, I about mean, as managing you were talking kids about and going to school, talk to me. <laughs> yeah. I was ready. I'm like, I'm going to start writing my story. You know, 18 memoirs from one woman's life. That's, you know, that in of oh, itself right. is, like, inspiring to hear. It's inspiring. <laughs> and she's the, best, she's the best-selling author and the mod. But um, her, her stories are almost all autobiographical in nature. And uh, one day on Twitter, some guy said, um, I like her her books, but all she does is talk about herself. And I thought, poor guy, he doesn't realize she writes memoirs. That's what right. you do. You talk about <laughs> it was the funniest thing. But, yeah, so the story that you tell is not 
just for you. It helps you too. Right. But it's extremely important Absolutely. because it helps everybody who hears it, whether they know you or not. Exactly. Well said. Well said. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> in talking about writing our stories and sharing our stories, you know, in your experience, uh, what's like common roadblocks that people have when they're trying to tell their story? <laughs> um, and I want to tell you that all of us have roadblocks, even when we have. Um, an education, a lot of experience. I had a roadblock in starting my life story, believe it or not. When I retired, 40 years of teaching, PhD, a lot of experience, books, articles, so forth. When I sat down to write my life story the first time, and my daughter had even, oldest daughter had even given me a book that had some prompt questions in there. I answered a few of those, and then I just was frozen. It was like, this just wasn't working for me. Everybody mm-hmm. has roadblocks because it's a personal thing. It's your story, and you don't know where to start. And most people think you should start at birth and work your way through to wherever you are. But that's why the guided autobiography method works well because we don't start like that. So the biggest thing, thing people think is my life is not interesting. Who wants to read about it? Um, they don't know where to start, like I didn't know exactly how to start on mine. They are, most people are very insecure about their writing skills. They may be right. okay writers otherwise, but when it comes to their life stories, they're comparing it in, in their heads with the published books that are out on the market. Um, also, yeah. people fear hurting other, they, they fear hurting the feelings of their family, if they're going to be telling stories about their lives, it's going to obviously involve some other characters in there. Um, They worry about revealing family secrets because we all have those situations where we grew up and you don't air your family dirty laundry, they used to say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we worry about opening all wounds. Um, An example, when I wrote my book, uh, Color Your Life Happy, the first edition I talk about my life in there, so it's all kind of little um, episodes and things about my life to support whatever I was saying. But one thing I didn't go too much into was my um, um, separation from my husband. And I kind of just glazed over it. And um, after I wrote that book and it was out for a little while, I decided that it was not as useful as it could be because I had not gone into that aspect you know it's kind of like you right know, you tell the first part and then you just skip over that to the next things that happen and I said I've got to rewrite and include that how we broke up what happened what caused it and also try to tell it in a way that was not making him the villain but yet right. it to be told mm-hmm. right so right. you worry about opening old wounds and um Everybody worries about that, but the great thing about the process we use, it helps you get through that. And, you know, once you realize everybody, everybody has these various problems. I can't imagine a problem that somebody hasn't had that you think you're the only one in the world who's had that problem. So when you're in a situation where you're sharing with other people, it's it's not that misery loves company, which, you know, in some cases it might be true, <laughs> but you love knowing that somebody else had it and they survived. They got through yeah. it. 
and so that roadblock you can throw out. But it is it's common. That's the first. I was listening to a guy um, at a luncheon. I met a lady from out of the country, and she invited me to join with her and some of her friends. And this guy worked. Uh, they had just retired from Disney. He'd been working there like thirty years, and he found out, you know, she introduced me and he found out, you know, I help people tell their life stories. The first thing he said was, oh, well, nobody would want to read my story if I told my life story. And uh, I looked, I turned to look at him and before he could finish that sentence, he, uh, he didn't finish the sentence, he went on and he said, but now if you ask me what it was like working at Disneyland for 30 years, I could talk all day. And I right. said to him, great. That's where you would start your story. And he was like, oh. <laughs> the life and times of an employee at Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, you know, he could talk about that. Sure. And as you mentioned, you know, he probably, you know, because when I think about writing my own story, you know, I often start with, like, my birth date and when I was a kid and, you know, likely he was thinking the same thing. And I think when you, we, right. we kind of think we have to start there and it doesn't necessarily sound like super exciting. Um, but, you know, <laughs> like in this situation, it's like, no, you don't have to start there. You can start somewhere else. So that's really interesting. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're going to start with our next set of questions. And I have to tell you, I really didn't want to share this, but my phone is buzzing with text messages Uh of how much you are helping people. (laughs) You have no idea. And I can't wait to share some of the feedback with you. Our next question is what you're welcome. What are some tips to help people get unstuck in the process? Okay. The first tip I suggest is to get help where you can because working in isolation is a dream killer for almost everything. So if you have a situation where someone else is writing their story or someone else wants to write their life story, the two of you can agree to be accountability partners and work on it, um, you know, and make a date each Friday we'll talk on the phone and see where you are. Of course, I'm going to say join a class. like mine, uh, a structured class, but not a writer's critique group. That's very different because the writer's critique group are people who are typically going to publish their books. And when you're writing your life story, many times people don't have publishing in mind. And I'll talk a a little bit about the difference um, next. But um, having some structure and having an experienced person like me who knows what's coming up in terms of how you're feeling and can kind of guide things along makes a difference. The accountability partner makes a difference because they are on the same path. Um, So, and then the other thing that should, a lot of people get stuck when they are holding back stuff. So if you're writing your story and all kind of horrible things come up in your mind that you want to write, write them. (laughs) You should write without censoring yourself. Because everything you write, you do not have to keep in the book and you don't have to share with anyone. You're writing it, you know, you just spill it out there and say everything and anything you want to say about yourself and tell the truth because that is something you're not going to have to share if you don't want to. So being free, you know, just giving yourself free reign to write or type whichever you're doing. And by the way, writing by hand is um, a lot more powerful, they say, although most of us on the computer these days. 
there's a different connection going on yeah. between your brain and your hands when you write. But, yeah, getting unstuck, you want to. And, of course, there are plenty of books on the market and there are YouTube channels and all kinds of ways of um, getting unstuck. But being with someone who's working on the same thing you're working on, the type of thing, or having someone who has giving, is going to give you guidance, that makes a big difference. Right, and inspires you. Our next question right, is, right. When, should one, when should one consider publishing? Okay, publishing, remember, is a business. So if right. you mean by publishing that you want your book to be available on Amazon for anyone to purchase, then you have to make a decision. Are you ready to go to an established publisher, random out to somebody, and if so, are you ready to release control of your book? Because when you go huh. to a publisher, established publisher, they are in the business of making money, and they make their money from selling books. And they sell the books that people want to read. So they're very much concerned about the trends. They're concerned about, will this appeal to the public? Uh, right now, memoir, well, for a long time, memoirs have been very popular. So if you wrote huh. a memoir that is about overcoming drug addiction, it better be very unique if you expect it to sell and become a bestseller because there have been a lot right. of books written about addiction. So if you want to publish it, you've got to be aware that you're having to appeal to different things. If you're writing it for yourself mainly, uh, you could still publish it, but then if you're self-publishing, for example, which means you're doing the same job that Random House is doing except you're in control because you are having to pay for every service that you have to hire. If you go to a publisher, established publisher, they give you, you know, they're taking care of all the expenses, but they also have the control. But you, some people want to put their books on, on uh, for sale, but they don't care if it becomes a bestseller. If that's your attitude and you can hold to that and you're not going to be crying about you didn't make any sales, <laughs> then right. it's okay to yeah. publish but just be aware that when you publish, meaning put your book up for sale, you typically are trying to appeal to the public, and there's certain things that you're going to want to be concerned about, like the book cover and a number of things. If you are writing for your family mainly and you type it up and you staple it together and you pass out copies to your family at the next reunion, then uh, in a way that's that's publishing in some sense because you're distributing it, but you're not trying to please a public and you're not having to answer to uh, anyone in, and you're not going after bestseller status. So I say when you're ready to completely relinquish control over your story, then an established publisher is a good way to go. If you want it, published but you want to keep control then you need to go self-published and that means you have there's a lot that you have to learn about that industry because you're essentially not doing it yourself you're running things yourself that's what self-publishing means and if you're going to make it available to the public there are things you've got to be concerned about that maybe you wouldn't be before like um, hurting somebody's feelings in your family um, that may be something you would want to think about or uh, calling out somebody who's famous and you may want to be concerned about the liability and things of that nature. 
So publishing puts you in a little different place, but that's not to say it's not a good thing to do, but you just need to be aware of that. I do talk about that in my guided autobiography class. And matter of fact, I made a product that talks about seven ways to um, share your life story with your with people. And it goes all the way from stapling together all the way to how to publish it and make it available on Amazon. And I talk about, you know, those different ways in between. So you can do it. And if you feel like you have a compelling story that needs to be shared with the world, then by all means. But it, it really helps if you know that you want to do that from the beginning because then you can start off a little different way uh, than right, you would more if you focused weren't going to publish you it. have a target. Um, right. Our next question is, what are some of your favorite autobiographies? One or two, please. Okay, just two. Um, <laughs> and by <laughs> the way, I used to differentiate between autobiography, which means birth to a complete life review, and memoir, where you can just focus on an aspect of your life. My two favorites um, right now are Trevor Noah's Born a Crime, and he's a South African comedian who came to uh, America and um, won the position of the host of The Daily Show, which had been John Stewart for many years. Uh, he, yeah. His Born a Crime is a wonderful memoir about uh, South Africa. It gives you a glimpse of South Africa growing up there and what he went through and then his view of, you know, America. Then uh, the other one is Angelus Ashes, which is by an author named Frank McCourt. And it's about his growing up in Ireland and about the poverty and the painful family dynamics he went through and and yet some of the high points that he is fond of. So both of those are are excellent memoirs slash autobiographies. Frank McCourt's is definitely more of a memoir. Trevor Norris is sort of kind of in the autobiography realm, but he's young still. So, you know, it doesn't yeah. cover, you know, decades and decades. But um, both of those are good. And, of course, there are many, 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 you know, Maya Angelou's, um, Cage Bird, and all of those are great uh, books for people to read. And I adv- I'm glad you mentioned I advise people to read a couple of memoirs when they're getting ready to start their story, even no matter whether you want to publish it or not, uh, just to feel the flow of, mm-hmm. of writing when you're talking about, you know, just see the rhythm and the flow of it. It's not that you're plagiarizing or copying. You just get the flow of it. So those are my two favorites right now. (laughs) Awesome. How can people find out more about you or your work? Or if they want to work with you. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm trying to keep it simple in my life these days. Uh, (laughs) FloraBrown.com. That's it. (laughs) You go to my website, and anything that I'm doing will be mentioned there somehow or another. I have a free download I'd like people to get called Seven Reasons You Have Trouble Writing Your Life Story, but it'll be on the the little bar of links that are near the top, and it says Trouble Writing Your Life Story, and you click on that and you'll sign up for a download, or you can go all the way to the bottom of the page, and I have a bigger announcement about that book, but that's a good one to read because it'll kind of hit on the things we've just talked about. So that's the main place to go. My I'm active in social media and all those places, but you'll find out about those over on floorbrown.com. 
if they go to the website. Awesome. And carrying yes. on Bernice Bennett's tradition with her guest, Flora, what are some parting words that you would like to share with our listeners? I would like to ask people to imagine if you found your great, great, great grandfather's journal or life story that he wrote. And in it, he shares his feelings, his fears, his pains, his regrets, how he fell in love with his wife where he married her, day-to-day living he went through, all of those things. Boy, wouldn't you be happy to find that from all those generations ago? So if you feel that way, think about the power you have currently to prevent your loved ones from regretting that you didn't write your life story. Write your life story because we will definitely not be here no matter how great, well, we take care of ourselves, uh, several generations down the line, the only way our loved yeah. ones will know about us will be the stories we left behind. Yeah, they'll have the pictures, they'll have our certificates, they'll have our war medals or whatever, but the story is, is very different. And you don't have to be a writer. You just have to be you in your voice, your style, misspellings and all the stories about you and your remembered experiences. So I urge everyone to please avoid having uh, your family have a regret about not knowing you by writing your story, and I promise you it will become a treasured part of your legacy. Wow, that is so powerful. Dr. Brown, thank you for being our guest this evening and for encouraging our listeners to write and share their family stories. Um, Before we close, I just want to say I was just inspired and encouraged, and I want people to be able to support you and start writing. So if folks head over to Speak On It, History and Genealogy Conversations with Janice and Sherikana on Facebook, and if you share one, just something, just start writing, one or two paragraphs, Sherikana and I will select a winner, three winners rather, to receive all of Flora Brown's products. How about that? Oh so my goodness. We'll support you. We'll we'll support you. You've been so supportive of us. Um and we'll support you and encourage our guests or listeners to write. And so we'll close with that. But again, go over to our Facebook page, Speak on It, History and Genealogy Conversations with Chiricana. You have uh let's say until tomorrow evening at nine PM to submit your story. Just post a page a paragraph, excuse me, a paragraph on our Facebook page, and we'll select the winner. Please do that by 9 p.m. tomorrow wow. night. To, <laughs> to our guest, Sherikan and I look forward to sharing with you next week, Thursday at 8 p.m. This has been amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Flora Brown. See you Thank all you. next Thursday. Everybody have a great Good night. night. Thank you so much, Dr. Good night. Brown. Thank Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Good night.